I had a bagel for dinner. A day-old bagel, because that's how my life's going. Oh, that sounds sad, but I, I love, love bagels. bagels. So it was it fine. A little okay. Honestly, it was fine. I would eat a bagel for dinner most nights if I could. What did you have on the bagel? Uh, cream cheese. Anything else? Just no, we don't really have anything in the house. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but I almost Neither. did peanut Neither. butter and jelly because I love mm. a peanut butter and jelly bagel. But it was an everything bagel. Yeah. And I was like, I don't know that that goes mm. together. If it was a sweet That bagel, was going to be my second question. Peanut butter for sure. Yeah. I was, first question what was, is what's on the bagel. Second question is what kind of bagel. Yeah. Third question <laughs> is, do you want to open a bagel shop? <laughs> Would you like to start a bagel podcast? <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to Reader's Digress, the podcast where we read nonfiction books so that you don't have to, unless you want to. I'm Kate Kiriakou. And I'm Molly Fox, and today we're going to talk about the book Bad Blood, Secrets and Lies in a Silicon Valley Startup by John Carreyrou. And Kate doesn't know this, but we do have a surprise guest today. Uh, Let me just, like, go get it really quick. Hi, I'm Elizabeth Holmes. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm... And I'm here today to set the record straight. Oh my god, amazing. Uh, Um, I've practiced that so many times in the last week, and when I'm not laughing, it's actually pretty good, I swear to god. I thought it was pretty good while you were laughing, to be honest. It was solid. Also, if you all don't know what we're talking about, you need to go on YouTube and watch a clip of any clip of Elizabeth Holmes. Anyone. Yeah, we'll still be here you when you come it. back. Press pause, <laughs> go to YouTube, Google Elizabeth Holmes, listen to her for really like three seconds will do. You really don't want to listen to her for anything longer than that because you will want to kill yourself. <laughs> yeah, you'll be like sucked into the spell. So yeah, three seconds tops and then come on back and we'll keep going. Yes. Perfect. <laughs> Uh, so, Kate, why don't you go through your summary? Yes. Uh, before we can begin... Okay. <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Sure, sure, sure. Yep, That's yep, how this yep, is yep, going. Yep, I got yep, it. Yep, 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 yep. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, so, before we get to our summary, actually, I want to say that Molly and I read Bad Blood, and we were so excited about the book that we decided we wanted to do a two-part episode. So this is the first of two, and we will continue our conversation in our next episode as well. And this episode, we are going to try to follow our format as best as we can. So we will both read our key takeaways and then either a question or a quote. And then next episode, we will do questions and quotes along with our rating and all of the other good stuff. Perfect. Yeah. And I think today we were going to focus on like the the main thrust of the scam itself and how that happened. And then we will next time go into some more tangents about the weirdness that happened too. There's so much weirdness. There's a lot to talk about there. 
Awesome. So this week we are diving into Bad Blood, John Carreyrou's journalistic investigation of the rise and fall of the multi-billion dollar biotech startup Theranos, founded by Elizabeth Holmes. Or should I say Elizabeth Holmes? (laughs) I can't do it again. (laughs) I sound like Bane. It's like, what are you doing? That's not it, guys. I'm sorry. I'm not going to do it again. I love it. If I can help myself. I usually can't help myself. Keep doing it. Once slotted as a female Steve Jobs, Elizabeth Holmes dropped out of Stanford with a patent for a compact blood testing system that utilized nanotechnology, which is just a fancy word for the study and use of tiny technology. Google it. That's literally the definition. (laughs) Holmes claimed her machines could accurately perform over 800 standard blood tests, cheaper and faster than current blood testing, and all with just a few drops of blood. Her startup, Theranos, attracted billions in venture capital investments. The only problem was that the product didn't work, and it never had. Each prototype, first the Edison and later the Minilab, had myriad issues. The primary one was that the minuscule blood samples Holmes insisted on weren't enough to conduct many tests. These blood samples were about the size of a dime turned on its edge, So you can imagine if you were holding that between your thumb and your finger that it's very, very small. Most blood tests require much more blood volume. Another issue was that different blood tests required different techniques, and Theranos' technology utilized only one kind of technique, which limited the tests it could perform. A quick note on the actual technology they were using. It was actually a commonly used technology in commercial blood testing machines. Their patent was merely to cover that they had shrunk the technology rather than that they had invented a new way to perform blood tests. I want to give them as little credit as possible. (laughs) While Holmes promised a Silicon Valley unicorn that would revolutionize the medical industry, she misled investors, board members, the FDA, and her employees. Officially founded in 2003, its valuation fell to zero by 2017 after a series of Wall Street Journal articles written by Carrie Rue that revealed Holmes' corporate fraud. Elizabeth and her longtime romantic and business partner, Sonny Balwani, were indicted on nine counts of wire fraud and two counts of conspiracy to commit wire fraud for distributing blood tests with falsified results. They are currently awaiting their fate. So... Should I start with my key takeaways? Yes, please. Okay. So when I was trying to come up with key takeaway, I wanted to do something that like distilled down the problems of Theranos into like a short and sweet kind of thing. And this came to me in a fever dream one night when I was alone (laughs) in my room. So I thought that the best way to summarize Theranos was through three Ps. Pettiness, paranoia, and pathological lying. Okay, I love this. The pathological lying one was like, I kept thinking of habitual lying, but I was pretty sure there was like another word for it. And when it struck me that it was like another P, I was like, yes, this is perfection. perfection. Doing cartwheels in your bedroom alone. Like, I figured it out. (laughs) I did it. I should start a Silicon Valley startup for this. So I broke it down a bit with what things I thought were petty, which things I thought were paranoid, and then things that I thought were like the lying part, which was like, spoiler, the main part. (laughs) It also feels like there's a Venn diagram where a lot of the things fall in the middle of that. Mm -hmm. Including Elizabeth Holmes' fake voice, actually. Now that you think about it, it's like, oh. (laughs) 
petty, paranoid, and a pathological liar. Weird how that works out. Uh, and pretentious. <laughs> oh Out my of god, yes! <laughs> Perfect. So for pettiness, I pulled out a lot of frivolous lawsuits and retaliation, retribution actions they took against people who in no way deserved that retaliation. And there was obsessions around loyalty that led to paranoia things that I'll talk about. And there was a lot of interest in patents and uh, litigating people who had competing patents that didn't steal anything from their work. So they had no legitimate reason to litigate. Um, And just like a lot of weird interpersonal vibes at the company of like the culture was very strange and... I think it took a very petty slant yeah. on most things. I will say that the leader of the pettiness seems to be Sunny, who was, as yeah. I mentioned, her longtime yes. business partner. He was also, what, 25 years her senior? Yes, and he just seems like the worst. <laughs> yeah. I loved that in, in the book Carrie Rue, like kept keeps referring to him as diminutive which is so funny to me because any man i've ever met would basically throw a fucking fit if you were like you're so diminutive oh, for sure men love to be like oh you're so diminutive to women but oh my god they'd throw themselves in front of a bus <laughs> if we said that. <laughs> <laughs> are you saying i'm not toxically uh, masculine <laughs> yeah it's exactly right. over how dare yeah i think yeah. to sunny is quite the character. He is described as somebody who wears like the most expensive clothes, but he has no style. Like it's that kind of like gaudiness to him that like, he he just seems so like there's something off about him in every aspect of his life. And like when he talks to people, it was incredibly rude. He was incredibly, uh, I don't know, kind of like a, vulture even just like watching people work wanted them to just be like sucking up to him for their job basically yeah there's like a sentence i didn't pull it as a quote so i won't be able to find it right now but carrie rue describes balwani as like a tire and it was one of the funniest like mean-spirited descriptions of a person (laughs) i've ever read it It was so funny (laughs) it was the kind of thing that you're like you can tell carrie rue fucking hates these people because they you find through the course of the book that he is an investigative journalist at the wall street journal like you said kate and he wrote a bunch of articles that revealed this fraud and while that was going on of course elizabeth holmes and sunny balwani were like trying tooth and nail to like stop that from happening and so you can tell that every so often he slips in a real like twist of the knife to how bad they suck oh, yeah it's, fabulous. it's wonderful to read honestly mm-hmm. it's kind of petty and it i'm is, here actually. for it <laughs> yeah fighting fire with fire <laughs> yeah i say i say fighting passive aggressiveness with passive aggressiveness oh wait (laughs) another p i was gonna say we could add a fifth p because there is a lot of passive aggressive comments there was an expectation that employees work like you know 80 to 100 hour work weeks and that they never leave and that this was another startup that did supply dinner for their employees but did not serve dinner until 9 p.m 
with the expectation that you would stay through dinner and the earliest that you would get out of the office is 10 p.m. every night. Just outrageous. Here's the thing. Keep it. I know. Okay? Just go get your own subway. I'll buy my own goddamn dinner. I'd rather have four hours to myself at night and eat a bad meal alone in my house. 100%. Or a good meal. I can cook, everyone. Mm -hmm. I would rather just, like, make myself a meal and have four hours to myself. You don't need to cater my food. Get the fuck out of here. I agree. I would so much rather be on my own eating a Hot Pocket Mm -hmm. than be with these people (laughs) eating the world's most gourmet meal. No, thank you. Which you know it wasn't. If they're catering this food every day, they're getting, like, the worst slot. Yeah, they can find. So, anyway. Uh, So, pettiness. Covered that. (laughs) Paranoia. (laughs) With our own pettiness. (laughs) (laughs) There was a ton of secrecy around trade secrets. This comes up constantly. There was one story that really stood out to me where a woman resigned her position. And in the process of doing so, she wrote a resignation letter and printed it out. And she talked to her immediate supervisor about it and said, you know, I'm resigning. This is my letter. And he was like, you know what? Don't even submit this letter. Like, just go quietly mm-hmm. and don't. It's just not worth don't it. Don't ruffle feathers because it's not worth it. Yeah. It's like they were very into like intimidation and like gross tactics. So his, her supervisor's advice was just like, just go quietly. So she was like, okay. She folds up the letter, puts it in her backpack. And on her way out, she had to meet with the horrific HR woman, Mona. And one of the things Mona had her do was open her backpack to show that she wasn't stealing any company property which in and of itself is such an insulting thing to yeah. do. Like I have worked at small nonprofits my entire career and never once have any of them been like, make sure you're not stealing your laptop and they don't have any money. Right. So like <laughs> it actually a billion dollar corporation. <laughs> yeah. So it was another petty thing, but so Mona makes her open her backpack to show that she's not stealing anything. And Mona sees the letter and makes her hand that over as company property, which is like, no, it's not at all company property. <laughs> Imagine <laughs> believing a single piece of paper is company property. It, and a piece of paper that my thoughts and ideas w- were put onto, and that's yeah. like, what the fuck? It's crazy. There was a wild amount of paranoia over the quote-unquote trade secrets at Theranos, which of Mm -hmm. course now in retrospect we look back and we say, okay, the reason you were so paranoid that someone would find out what was actually going on in this startup was because Mm -hmm. you were scamming everyone and your technology never actually worked. So in retrospect, the paranoia makes sense, but through a different lens. At the time, they kept comparing themselves to Apple and Coca-Cola And, you know, trying to really protect what they had. And they kept selling it that they had this amazing technology that had never been put together before. That no one else... Proprietary technology. exactly. That nobody else had thought of. And it's like, no, you were just scamming everybody. That was the thing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And to your point, like, no wonder you were paranoid. Because you were pathological liars. (laughs) Number three. But the other thing that I was going to mention with, like, paranoia was exactly what you were saying. Like, Elizabeth 
when the company first started, I don't know how long this went on exactly, but the engineers and the chemists and the various departments all reported up to her. So they didn't talk to each other very well. And all the information was really siloed. So this is part of what allowed the scam to go on for so long. Yeah. One of the other interesting things was that, as you're saying, the departments were really siloed and they weren't allowed to talk to one another. Yet another Sunny-ism. <laughs> I don't know. That's yes. not really a thing, but Sunny caused this. Uh, in that the people designing the prototype thought that they were just designing a prototype and that they were working on research and development. And in a research and development cycle, you are not using real results. You are running tests mm-hmm. and experiments over and over again. Meanwhile, this other department, the product design and the marketing department were off to the races, ready to Mm -hmm. roll this out to the public and Mm -hmm. have humans that didn't know that this was a non-functioning prototype start using it and relying upon the results. So you had this tension that the only people who really knew about was Elizabeth and Sonny because they were the only people that had the full picture of what was going on at the company whereas everyone in their own departments knew that there were issues but they could only contextualize them within the knowledge that they had of their own department right like the chemists and the engineers understood that they did not have working technology yet like they hadn't cracked the problem of how do you take a blood analyzer and make it a miniature thing that could be used in someone's home Mm -hmm. But in, I think in most of their minds, they didn't think that they had to have solved that problem yet because they were developing that technology. Mm-hmm. But like you said, on the other end, the front facing end of the company, they were already selling it like it was finished and tested and tried and true. And approved by the FDA, and, which it was not. Yeah. Which I want to be generous because I know what it's like to work kind of in a siloed environment and just not really understand what's going on and see the problems that creates. But on the other hand, by the time this company was getting a lot of like press and like people knew what Theranos was. Mm -hmm. So it was like, if I were a chemist working there and I heard about it, I'd be like, okay, but we don't have that yet. (laughs) You know, but it was like, but they, it seems like at a certain point, this should have started clicking in better for people. And maybe it did. And it was just like hard for them to extricate themselves. But it's still amazing that the scam got as far as it did, given how many people knew it, it had to scam. keep their mouths shut. Yeah. yeah. And like, and it's just that thing of like, not at, no one knew for sure, yeah. except maybe five people, if mm-hmm. that, maybe only two, Sonny and Elizabeth, mm-hmm. but it, everyone else just did that thing where they're like, well, I probably not this can't be i i don't know about yeah, that you know? to that point there were a number of employees who outlined their concerns about the prototype to elizabeth directly with the assumption that she didn't know how bad it was and yes, i guess that that's yes, really that's telling that they assumed she didn't even know that the prototype was having so many issues and that's why mm-hmm. she was going on to sell it. But of course she knew yeah. the whole time and she was conning everyone, but everyone felt like they should give her the benefit of the doubt, like assumed she wouldn't do that. That would be nuts. Right. <laughs> and of course right. here we are. And yes, it was nuts. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Which does bring us to pathological lying. 
Which I think, A, is self-explanatory. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Elizabeth and Sonny both had to lie extensively and constantly after the first couple of years of the company to get to where they were when it was revealed as a fraud. And I'm going to say that Sonny was never smart enough to really understand the depth of how poorly the technology worked. He didn't strike me as smart at all. (laughs) No. Like, actively not smart, I should say. (laughs) Actively unintelligent. (laughs) But Elizabeth was actively intelligent, and so she was fully aware of how not functional it Mm -hmm. was. And so she was, like, actively lying 100% of the time to every team. The marketing team she was lying to to say that it was farther along the chemist she was lying to to say that like they were not ready to roll it out yet like keep running these tests Mm -hmm. and then there was this whole aspect of the development of the project called proficiency testing which is something that you do when you are trying to determine the reliability of a test result like that or like a, a device so you know they'd run hundreds of blood tests and compare it to uh, a known trusted analysis machine to see how accurate their machine's results were. And A, it was never accurate. It was always like very, very flawed and the results were all over the place. But B, they started doing this thing where they would like take the median of the the <laughs> results basically yeah. and they would like do this weird like mathematical average to be like well we'll just discount all those outliers like the ones on the end that are the worst uh results they'll just like trim off which is like but that's the whole thing yeah it, yeah it was astounding the lengths to which they went to protect their scam Yeah, to back up a little bit on the technology, Elizabeth had originally believed that she could make a patch that would go onto your skin, that you would be able to test your blood, and use nanotechnology to do that. She went to see one of her professors at Stanford, and the professor said that is physically not possible, as in the study of physics not possible, (laughs) so no, you cannot do that. Uh, And so... She pivoted and decided to do this product that was a tabletop blood analyzer that would allow people to test their blood at home for various different diseases and also to test their blood and send the results to their doctor if they had begun taking a new medication, for example, and the doctor wanted to make sure that what they were taking was not adversely affecting them. But... Of course, this product did not work. And so she pulled in a bunch of engineers, and eventually the prototype they got that worked the best, although it did not work accurately or consistently, was something that they had reverse engineered from a commercial blood analyzer, a company called Siemens, which already exists and they use in many labs throughout the country, I assume globally, actually. Mm -hmm. And the engineers just went in and said, oh, okay, so this is how they're doing it. Let's do the same thing, but we're just going to shrink it. But the problem with shrinking it is that you don't actually have enough blood from the few drops you would get from a finger prick in order to run the diverse and number of tests that she wanted to run on them. So what they ended up doing was taking these tiny, tiny blood samples, which were just a few drops of blood, 
diluting them with a fluid, and then using that diluted solution as the cartridge in the commercial blood analyzers, and then pulling the results from the commercial blood analyzers. So they were just going through this long, long process, and ultimately were not actually getting results from the product that they said was so important to them and their main invention. Well, exactly. And like you were describing, nothing they did was new technology at all. It was just miniaturized technology that already existed. <laughs> and then that technology did not even work. And Can you imagine one of the if things I was that... like, I need a patent. <laughs> I made a really small Coca-Cola and I would like to put that in my proprietary <laughs> trade secrets. I made a smaller, worse Coca-Cola. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, I made a smaller, non-carbonated Coca-Cola, and I would like to patent that. <laughs> it's like someone saying we should make phones smaller and also not work. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, what are we doing here? What is this? It's so, it's so funny to me that, like, the entire time they rode a wave of, like, smaller and worse. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's so funny. Um, but one thing I wanted to point out about like the whole process that you were describing, Kate, that I found really fascinating was this technology is something that people have been trying to crack for a long time. Of course, it would be great to have a miniature in-home blood analyzer. That would be exceptional. It would be what Theranos promised, which was like kind of life-changing for people. But it's not easy to do. And one of the reasons it's not easy to do is because when you take like a finger stick sample and you get the drops of blood from your finger, the process, it not only is there like skin and debris from your finger puncture, but it also breaks the red blood cells. And so when it is gone, it, the blood is put into the cartridge at that point, it reads higher levels of potassium because of a process that occurs when the blood vessels break. And so it'll give improper potassium results. If you have too much potassium in your body, you will die. And the readings they were getting from a ton of these tests were like numbers that these people would be but dead they were if they had dead. that much potassium. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it's like, it just it was another layer of like, yeah, this is difficult to crack because of many, many reasons. Not because yeah. no one thought of it before, Elizabeth. <laughs> like, Okay. But God. did they try wearing a black turtleneck while they did it? <laughs> But did they talk like this on did CNN like this? many times and never blink the entire time that they talked? They didn't blink. And that's how you solve deep mechanical technology issues. <laughs> oh my god, it's so blinking. good, actually. Thanks, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> it's the not blinking part that really gets me. It's like, can you just it's, it's really go upsetting. take a nap? I think we would all feel better if you just took a nap, Elizabeth. I just feel like I'm talking to a we, kindergartner. Like, what are you doing? We believe you have proprietary information, ma'am. Now go lie down. <laughs> yes, of course. She you have, didn't have proprietary you information. Have now let's just take a nap. <laughs> shoo, 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 grandma. Now go. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Um, oh wait a minute. Gosh. Speaking of Elizabeth Holmes being a grandmother, 
isn't she pregnant right now? Yeah, she is. And that's nuts because she's about to go to prison. So who decided, like, who decided that timeline? <laughs> also, no one knows whose it is. Do you think it's Sunny's? She broke up with him after the company dissolved because she was basically like... Welcome to Gossip Corner. <laughs> this is important. Keep telling me. <laughs> she was basically like, listen, you're of no use to me anymore. Goodbye. And then they broke up and they both moved out of their like 7,000 square foot home. That was something that Carrie Rue said in the book. I, I'm pretty sure it was like nine... I, I have no idea, but it was like 900,000 square feet. It was... The sentence was so stunning to me. I was like, how could you possibly need that much space to never be in because you were at work 100% of the time? Like, I don't understand. You guys barely even, you didn't sleep. That was evident by Elizabeth's bloodshot eyes. So you never went there. Let's be honest. Really? No. Uh, But the thing that the whole, like, baby makes me think of, (laughs) I, (laughs) I imagined that maybe she was, like, not faking it for sympathy, no, but that it's like a sympathetic thing that she really is enjoying the pregnancy because it does make her seem like a more human being of a person. Yeah. Like that. That's valid. Mm, also, though, it I, seems like a power play. I think <laughs> a baby it is. Plow power play. The baby's a scam. <laughs> it's a baby Cold War. <laughs> yeah, it's like. I don't know why anyone would choose to do that at the moment that you have gone completely bankrupt and your life is falling apart but so the reason i was thinking about like the whole baby faking a baby thing was because my sister and i she's only two years older than me so like we played a lot when we were younger Mm -hmm. and we always played with barbies which we loved loved barbies (laughs) and we had configured this method using a barbie bicycle helmet (laughs) We didn't have bikes, but for some reason we had bike helmets for Barbies. (laughs) Of course. I don't know why. Naturally. And so we found that if you buckled the bike helmet around the Barbie's (laughs) abdomen, and then you put a specific dress on the Barbie, it made her look pregnant like perfection. Oh my gosh. And we, we did this constantly. We had, I mean, we had massive worlds created with our Barbies, obviously. And some of them had to be pregnant sometimes. But. Did you patent that? Because honestly, you could. <laughs> <laughs> patent pregnancy pathological lying. <laughs> I feel like it's just like Dwight from The Office beats bears battle start. <laughs> We're just like that. That should be the like Stan shirt for Theranos. Is just like pettiness, paranoia, pathological lying, pregnancy, and then on the bike it's and say patent pregnancy bike in parentheses. <laughs> Yeah, my cousin always had the best toys, and when I went Mm. over to play with her, she would have the best Barbies. And she actually had a Barbie one time that was, like, pregnant and had a Mm -mm. removable belly Mm -mm. that you could Mm -mm. take off and, like, put a tiny fetus in there. And then then there was also a flat belly that you could replace it with after she'd given birth. And... I just feel like, why are we giving that to children? Okay, for, okay. <laughs> from whence does the Barbie baby come? Like, don't yeah. go there, it's just, everyone. It's just really not necessary. They don't even have genitalia. Right. They can't reproduce. <laughs> 
if I see, <laughs> we need to pregnant- get to the bottom of <laughs> this. How do we have a pregnant Barbie and a genitalia-less kid? If you're not giving her a clitoris, she doesn't have a baby. Okay, <laughs> I'm a feminist. <laughs> Uh, oh my gosh. Um, You're like I'm basically okay, buddy I for hate. Date. <laughs> <laughs> hate hate the pregnant Barbie thing unless so it is a upsetting. bicycle helmet strapped around. Okay, the but abdomen. that was just creativity that you would later yeah, patent and become an entrepreneur. So that is different. Yes, but all this is to say, I think we should check in court next time to make sure that Elizabeth does not have a bike helmet <laughs> strapped around her abdomen. <laughs> Excuse me, ma'am. Like ma'am, just go excuse up and, like, me. Knock on her stomach. <laughs> hey, what's going on in there? <laughs> Is this hollow? Oh, oh, it's a real human baby. I'm so sorry, ma'am. She, she's just like names her kid proprietary trade secrets. <laughs> Pop for short. Prop. Proprietary is another P, FYI. It is. It is. If you are keeping track, there's a lot of them. Yeah, I, we haven't been keeping track. It's like 10. Uh, should we stop screaming about my key takeaways and move the fuck on? Yeah, let's talk about mine. Okay. All right. This one is less related to the actual story of Theranos and much more related to Elizabeth Holmes. And I just have to say, this is something that bothers me all the time, every day that I'm reading any news outlet at all. (sighs) Okay, had to get that cyan. My key takeaway is that intelligent and knowledgeable are two different things. Mm, applause, applause, <laughs> applause to that. Yes, and 100%. It feels like nobody else has figured that out yet. <laughs> and it feels like it shouldn't be that novel, but apparently oh. it is. I was about to start pointing out, like, Ben Shapiro as an example. However, he's not intelligent. I take it right the fuck back. He's really not. He's just slimy. (laughs) He's like a troll. But it really bothers me because essentially what happens when we see somebody who is intelligent in the public eye, no matter who it is, or someone who has an exceptional talent that has uh, allowed them to achieve a certain amount of success, is that we then extrapolate that into every area of every thing you can possibly imagine. Yeah. And so we're like, oh, you're intelligent. That must mean that you're also, you can also be a politician and a doctor and run the world and be a superhero IRL. And it's like, no, that's (laughs) not how it works. Like, I'm sorry, but yes, Ben Carson was an amazing doctor and neuroscientist, Mm -hmm. one of the best in the world. Did he need to become a politician? No. Those are different skills. And just because Mm -hmm. you are extremely intelligent and perhaps exceptionally talented in one area does not translate to every area. Stop doing that, people. And it bothers me because a lot of times the media will invite people onto their shows just to ask them questions about things that they actually have no knowledge in. No, yes, no expertise whatsoever. And it's like, why are we even asking them that question? It's irrelevant. I feel, I feel like that happened so much this year with the coronavirus oh, thing, yeah. where it was like Republicans and Democrats alike would be invited onto radio, talk radio, news, whatever, 
and ask questions about, do you think we should be masking? Blah, blah, blah. And it's like, their opinion doesn't fucking matter. They have no expertise on the matter. Yeah, it's actually they, irrelevant. They should be saying, Whatever comes out of yes. their mouth is actually irrelevant because they have yes. no foundation of knowledge for this. Yeah, people, like, mistake an opinion for, like, concrete direction, mm -hmm. which it's, like, whether this person wants to be wearing a mask or not is not what the country needs to be being told right now. Yeah, also, you don't know what the country should be doing because you yes. don't know anything about viruses, sir. <laughs> you are a computer scientist. Like, I don't know what to tell you. Yes. Yeah, I, I think it came up for me a lot in this book specifically because Elizabeth Holmes is clearly intelligent. I think that that's something mm -hmm. we can say from reading the book and something that you can say from the entire story. I mean, most people who are not intelligent cannot get to where she was. However, just because she was intelligent did not mean that she had the knowledge in the medical field or the knowledge in scientific experimentation in the medical field to be able to create this technology or to improve upon it. Obviously, she her name was at the head of every single patent, but the people who were really working on improving the technology, which by the way, again, was not new, it was just improving mm -hmm. it, were yeah. actual scientists and she essentially stole those patents by putting her name on top of there. And it's like, you couldn't possibly have come up with this. You don't have any basis in the medical field. You took two semesters of chemical engineering classes at Stanford, which like, congratulations for doing that. But that is not the same as having a 25 plus year medical history. Yeah, well, it history kind of goes back to the... <laughs> it, it goes back to what we talked about earlier which is that people have been trying to crack this technology this problem in technology for a long time so it it doesn't have anything to do with her youth or her inexperience or anything it's just like well it does it has everything to do with that i guess but it's like that's it's not because she wasn't intelligent. It was because even if you are intelligent, if you don't have the experience and the body of knowledge to build from, mm -hmm. you will not be able to find a solution to this particular problem that people have been trying to solve for 50 years. That's yeah, like, it's so insulting. Obviously not possible. <laughs> it's so insulting and so much hubris to be like, oh, they just haven't thought of it. And I thought of it. It's like, yeah, no, that's not what's happening here. You just ignored 25 plus years of medical research because you just didn't want to read it. And then we're right. like, oh, no, 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 I have the answer. And it's like, oh, yes, of course. We just should have thought of that. <laughs> thought of it. Oh well, it's kind of like someone saying like, oh, my God, I can't believe none of you have ever thought about like living on the moon. <laughs> I've done it. <laughs> When it's like, okay, many people have thought about that many times. It doesn't mean that we are capable of accomplishing it yet. Right. So those are two different things. And I think what your key takeaway makes me think is that charisma does not equal competence. Yeah, that's a huge one And too. we saw that over and over again in the Theranos story that, like, Elizabeth clearly had charisma beyond, that's beyond me, but to other people she obviously did 
And that charisma got her very far, but it obviously did not translate into competence in any <laughs> Obviously <shape>. not. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, that actually reminds me of my question, which I actually want to bring mm. up my question instead of a quote this episode. I'm going to okay. shake it up. Okay. Yes. Love it. So the aspect of her charisma bothered me so much throughout this book, because as we both mentioned, we have seen interviews with her and she does not strike me as someone that I would ever want to be around. And to me, charisma means somebody that you want to spend time with someone that mm -hmm. you want to have a good perception of you. You're like drawn yeah, to and you like, you want to impress them. Mm -hmm. And none of those things come to mind when I think of her or when I saw an interview with her. I mostly just thought she needed to sleep. And I thought that she needed to get away from me because she was incredibly irritating. She acted like a middle schooler who was like a teacher's pet almost. Like, just like, get out of my Didn't face. Didn't understand how uncool she yeah. was. And I was just like, okay, yeah, I'm not understanding the draw here. So mm -hmm. that being said. Pretty big lead up. But have you ever met someone as charismatic as Elizabeth is described to be based on this book? Here's what I here's what I think, Kate. I, I yes, I have met someone like that. And I will tell you about it. But I'm going to explain that I think the only way that that kind of charisma works and the only times that it has worked on me is when you really need something from someone whether it is validation that you are cool or valuable or worthy. Maybe you need to feel like you are part of something bigger than yourself. Maybe you need to feel like you are absolved of guilt or fear from damnation. Church cults. Maybe you need to feel like someone's muse. I don't know. That's what I needed from this person. He, he was a magician. Oh my God. No. at a five-year-old's birthday party and i'm gonna tell you about it right now <laughs> oh my god oh my god i meant to say that he was a musician <laughs> <laughs> okay that's so much better i'm so glad for and your sake otherwise it would be too embarrassing oh my god for real can you imagine band it was very romantic to me he was the lead singer his songs were very romantic and like heartfelt and he seemed very like a sensitive guy and i desperately needed to feel like i was someone's muse that i could be someone that they would write songs like that about and so when i met him i felt this like 
connection, like the cosmos splitting open. There was one day when I saw him on campus and I'd been to his shows before I was friends with his bandmate. So I saw him and I recognized him and I like followed him for like probably two to three minutes, just like thinking that I was going to like literally turned a different direction than the one I was going to follow this man across campus with this imaginary idea that I was going to like be like hi I'm like I have no idea what I thought I was going to goddamn do it was crazy yeah but like literally I found this person so charismatic that I followed them across campus like a crazy person and when I I have I still follow him him on Instagram and the reason I thought of him was because over the years, as I have learned to like meet my own needs, I don't have that feeling of like desperately needing to be a mu- a magician's muse anymore. Thank God. Um, but he now to me is insufferable. He is insufferable. Okay. He is one of those like grind all day, coffee for lunch. I never eat sugar. My girlfriend's from Mexico. Like he is absolutely insufferable. Oh my gosh. Okay. But I hear what you're saying, which is that it feels like it's more about the person following them than it is about the person leading, which Makes a lot more sense to me than how people usually describe these charismatic people, as in no one could mm-hmm. turn them down. And it's like, okay, yes, yes. yes, they could. Obviously, not everybody who met Elizabeth fell in love with her, hence why her Stanford professor was like, no, that's literally not how physics works, and like shut her out. So, yeah, it's always like stories like that where I'm like, okay, it's not that she was actually irresistible, it was that there were enough people that apparently needed or wanted something specific out of her that Mm -hmm. they couldn't help themselves but be drawn yeah that's exactly what i think i i do think that there are people who have more of a charismatic draw than others Mm -hmm. hitler is a good example of that like clearly he was able to inspire a nation of through hatred Mm -hmm. but he capitalized on a specific moment and a lot a lot of people shared needs at the time and i think elizabeth did the same thing where she was able to exploit this like fear or hope that someone had to be able to take them for a ride on this dream that she was that was only ever that and she pretended was reality and I think that exactly has more to do with it than anything was the people wanted to believe what she was selling Mm -hmm. because no one wants people to suffer or their family members to die prematurely. Like we all love the idea that you could catch like an illness really early and then stop it from killing someone too young. Mm -hmm. And, and we all want to be part of something that's bigger than us. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that is all very intoxicating And then I think you combine it with, uh, there's some, like, weird thing about Elizabeth that is, I know it feels repulsive to us, but it's so strange that I kind of want to keep watching it sort of a thing. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah, I think it's, like, it's being captivated by something that's so different than what you would normally see. Yeah, I agree with that. I think, I think that with her what you're saying makes a lot of sense to me and i think that was 
actually the thing that I kept getting most frustrated with people with throughout the book because I kept thinking like, you guys, we're all mortal beings. We are all going to die. Everyone we Mm -hmm. love is going to die. (laughs) This sounds so cynical, but that is humanity. That is is what happens. Mm -hmm. Having a blood test that can get you results slightly quicker than another blood test is not going to make you immortal. And so I was so frustrated by the fact that other people found that so alluring because when Mm -hmm. you step back and think about it, that doesn't do a whole lot. You know what I mean? It can't make you immortal. It can't stop people from dying. It can't stop your loved ones from dying. I agree. And I think almost with a slight twist to it, it's that for me, a much more powerful concept beyond making myself immortal is making the people I love immortal like it's much easier to grapple with my own death than the deaths of people Mm -hmm. I love and that's what she was doing it wasn't like we're gonna save ourselves it was you're never gonna have to say goodbye to a loved one which was like yes you will like that (laughs) of course you are and that's a powerful motivator and if you are telling someone that you have a solution to that problem as far-fetched as it sounds yeah you want to believe that that is true or that you could be a part of yeah. making something that like even a, a drop of immortality against the like onslaught of fucking death that we are all faced with all the time. Yeah. That would be really exciting to think you could be a part of that. Yeah. And you'd be able to put aside a lot of your like doubt or like mm, the uneasy feelings mm-hmm. you started to get. Because Carrie Rue talks about, in his interviews with people, how quickly they felt like, ooh, this isn't what I thought I was. Yeah. But they have to, like, kind of set that feeling aside because they're like, well, I'm here now and I'm going to try to make the best of it. Mm-hmm. And it's that concept of a frog boiling in water little by little, like if you turn up the heat, mm-hmm. which I don't know that that's scientific. <laughs> I don't think that's real. But, <laughs> but <laughs> this is a concept that we understand. That it, it was bad immediately, but they set that feeling aside and continued to go on. And it just got worse and worse, but it happened slowly enough that they didn't notice how bad it was until they, like, stepped back and were like, okay, so we're literally going to end up killing someone, mm-hmm. is what you're telling yeah. me. And to me, I think that was one of the more frustrating parts, because in your search for some sort of control over this fear... You're putting by the Mm -hmm. wayside all of the harm that you're doing and all the harm that Theranos was doing in the meantime. So while you're chasing after this dream that ultimately doesn't exist, you're hurting real people in the real world every day. Because Mm -hmm. when somebody goes to get their blood drawn, it's usually for one of two reasons. That either they are expecting some sort of diagnosis or that they Mm -hmm. already have a diagnosis and they're expecting blood work to tell them what they should do to proceed from there it's usually not people who are 100 percent completely healthy there's nothing to worry about occasionally Mm. people like that will go and get blood tests but for the most part it's a lot of people who need those blood tests to determine whether or Mm -hmm. not they're going on medication or whether or not that medication should change and so if you're getting an accurate blood test which he mentions in the book 70% of doctors rely on blood tests to prescribe a medication. So if you are getting an accurate blood test, people really can die. I mean, there was one woman who had inaccurate blood tests and it was falsely 
uh, too Positive. extreme. I mm-hmm. think it, I don't know if it was a potassium test or I think it had something to do with her heart. And mm-hmm. they sent her to the ER because they were worried she was going to have a stroke. And she spent, you know, upwards of $3,000 uh, with her insurance for an mm-hmm. MRI, a CAT scan, all of that on the eve of Thanksgiving, plus all of the stress that a medical emergency brings. And then ultimately ended up being okay, but had such a financial, emotional, mental toll from that experience. Mm -hmm. And like you, you're playing with people's real lives. And so there's a reason why you can't just fake it till you make it like you can at Facebook, where ultimately the worst thing that happens is that the site crashes and no one cares. Mm -hmm. But the worst thing that happens here is that people actually die. Yeah, well, and you just said, like, the false positive is really shitty because then you get really stressed out and you have this fear that something terrible is wrong and you spend all this money in the ER, etc. But a, a false pause or a false negative is actually even more dangerous because if you are going to get tested for HIV or see if you have a heart condition or something like that and it comes back as negative, but it was fucking positive, yeah. that's way fucking worse you the the damage that that would have done if it had rolled out to all of the proposed partners that Theranos was working with with uh Safeway was one of them it's a grocery store chain Walgreens was another they were going to have these testing centers in all of these places where consumers would have been able to come in and have their blood tested and in Walgreens they had started to roll this out by the time the fraud was uncovered so people were literally getting millions of tests were given to people and they had to be retracted by Theranos later. Yeah. So they like did real damage and they would have done so much more real damage had they not been discovered. Yeah. Yeah. And we should say that one of the ways that this was discussed. So a couple of whistleblowers within the company had contacted John Carreyrou. So without their bravery and their courage and mm-hmm. their moral compass, who yeah. knows what would have happened? How how much longer could this have gone on? I don't know. At the, Before his investigative coverage came out, the FDA mm-hmm. had visited their labs and was in process of reevaluating whether or not their labs were able to be up and running. So you, you mm-hmm. hope that that fail-safe would have prevented them from really expanding. But we don't know that for sure without the pressure Mm -hmm. of the media and the public eye. Uh, Mm -hmm. And the other thing is, is that one of the ways that Theranos was pathologically lying is that when the FDA came to visit, Mm -hmm. they handed them fabricated test results from their machines saying that they actually were working correctly. And then Mm -hmm. the other thing was they actually had two labs at Theranos. There was one upstairs, which was the lab that they let the FDA see. And that one Mm -hmm. is what they call Jurassic Park because it held (laughs) all of the old technology. (laughs) And then there was one below that that had kind of a secret or hidden door uh, which was the lab that they called Normandy. And in Normandy, that was the lab that they were developing this new technology and where their actual prototypes mm-hmm. were. But they had absolutely 
terrible lab metrics and mm-hmm. safety and they weren't keeping blood at the right temperature they had people not wearing ppe they had people that weren't authorized to handle blood that were handling blood it was just absolutely that. nuts well and i think this is the part for me where it comes off the rails of just like Elizabeth was the one doing it Mm -hmm. because if you were a chemist and you or an engineer or whatever, and you were working on this thing and you knew it wasn't working Mm -hmm. and you knew that none of your technology worked very well or consistently, but you also knew that you were using it in Walgreens. I think at a certain point, more people should yeah. have been like, hey. now wait a minute here. Uh, <laughs> so this isn't nothing a prototype works. <laughs> yeah. Like it just seems like everyone did that thing where they kind of passed the buck onto the next person. And they're like, well, my supervisor said to keep doing this. So I'm going to. Yeah. And that's, I'm not like that. I'm very much a like, well, let's hold the phone here now. I love to, <laughs> Operator. I love to be yelling about things. <laughs> operator. Literally. So uh, I'll call the operator in a meeting. I don't care. <laughs> if I think there's something fishy going on, I'm going to suss it right out. And I'm going to splash it all over the front page. John Carreyrou is on my speed dial. So the oh, next time yes. something crazy happens in my work, I'm going to call him up. <laughs> and I want a full investigation. It's going to be like somebody sent an email with a typo. I'm like, excuse me, but I think we need a full investigation here. By the Wall Street Journal. Yeah. It's going to be like, how did you get uh, my number? Well, I read your book. And, and then I stalked you. Molly stalked a musician once, so she told me how to do it. Uh, I was top of the best. That was a joke, okay? Let me be clear. I have never, only in my mind, have I stalked people, okay? Oh, man. And that's proprietary technology, so you can back it's off. It's patented, so you, nobody can know. Trade secrets! <sighs> I'm just going to yell well, trade secrets next time I don't want to answer a question. Someone to be like, where do you want to eat for dinner? Trade secrets! Sorry, that's, that's proprietary information. Um, <laughs> should I read my quote? Yeah, please. It, it um, speaks to pathological lying. I think I'm going to read this quote and then we'll wrap up with this. Um, and it will kind of set the stage for our next time of where we're going to go with the rest of the shenanigans that Theranos was pulling. <laughs> shenanigans. Shenanigans. So in, a, in the early 2010, so it looks like 2012, 2013-ish, they met with a advertising agency, marketing agency called Shiat Day that worked with Apple. So it was, again, Elizabeth really embodying this concept of Steve Jobs. And Shiat Day helped them get things like their website and other marketing and promotional materials off the ground, assuming that they had technology that was functional and was ready to be rolled out. And there was one section where Carrie Rue was talking about a designer named Kate who was helping build the website and working on the copy for the website and some of the struggles she went through with trying to get Theranos to be honest about the technology that they had and the red flags. So I'm just going to read that section because I found it hysterical. Elizabeth wanted the website and all the various marketing materials to feature bold, affirmative statements. One was that Theranos could run over 800 tests on a block drop of... 
A drop bloth? <laughs> a blob of drop. <laughs> this is not that funny. I'm so sorry. Okay. I would like to keep that in the episode, please. <laughs> I love how I say things like that, and it's like, bitch, you edit the episode. You could you don't have to tell yourself that. You'll know when you come across it the next time you listen to this. Why are you leaving yourself audio notes? Nobody else cares. Children's book idea. Baby hooker. Don't do this. My abs hurt. I just cut all this out. I'm being a fucking lunatic. Okay. I'm keeping it in. Okay. One was that Theranos could run over 800 tests on a drop of blood. Another was that its technology was more accurate than traditional lab testing. She also wanted to say that Theranos test results were ready in less than 30 minutes and that its tests were approved by FDA and endorsed by key medical centers. When Kate inquired about the basis for the claim about Theranos' superior accuracy, she learned that it was extrapolated from a study that had concluded that 93% of lab mistakes were due to human error. Theranos argued that since its testing process was fully automated inside its device, that was grounds enough to say that it was more accurate than other labs. Kate thought that was a big leap in logic and said so. After all, there were laws against misleading advertising. That amazes me. <laughs> Theranos was like, well, we don't use people, so there's no room for air. <laughs> None of your technology works at all. Because people made it and those people sucked at it. It really is so telling that the ad agency had more ethical qualms about putting this out there than Theranos did. You were the ones creating the actual technology that was not doing good things for human beings. And it was the ad agency that was like, I, I think we owe it to our viewers to be more honest than this. And it's like, I think you owe it to the people whose test results you gave inaccurately to be more transparent to them. For real. It's hilarious that the marketing agency was like, you can't put lies on the internet when that's all the internet is for. And Elizabeth was like, no, let's lie to the consumers that we're testing their blood. Like, I know, she was like, fuck? lies on the internet, lies on the blood test, doesn't matter, it's all the same. Because we are pathological liars. Oh, that is one of our key tenets as a company. <laughs> For real. <laughs> oh, uh, well, should gosh. we leave it here at this wonderful threshold of a quote? I think so, because we have a lot more to talk about next time, and we can get yes. into more of the partnerships that Theranos had that more or less just exploded, I think yes. would be a good yes. term. <laughs> Absolutely. And of course, join us next time for me to try strapping a bike helmet around my abdomen. <laughs> we will both appear <laughs> with a bike helmet strapped to our abdomens obviously just to see if you can pull it off in a courtroom <laughs> we we need to test this out it's we're patenting it <laughs> we're patenting it anyway <laughs> i digress join us next time for more of our bullshit